We walk by faith. That's what Paul said. This is a walk, a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith with hope. I was talking to my mom yesterday morning about the hope we have in Christ and, and the hope that is, is, is so important to hold to. Hope is a must in our life. But this walk by faith with hope, it's not a casual stroll. For we are behind enemy lines. This world that we live in is not our home. There generally are twists and turns. And although the Lord is our shepherd, and that's a good thing, right? The Lord is our shepherd. The God who parted the Red Sea, made the skies. The God who raised his son from the dead. He is our shepherd. And there is a comfort to know that. And we are in his presence. But we're not only in his presence, we are also in the presence of an enemy. So, in this travel pack series, I want to begin with these two words for each one of us going into 2022. Expect attacks. Today, I want to walk with you through the Word of God and shine light on this truth. And it's a truth. Expect attacks. God's Word tells us that our walk is not a stroll. We will encounter the enemy on the road up ahead. The Bible is very clear and plain on this. And we're going to begin with what Jesus says. Jesus says this in Matthew 10. Behold, I send you out as sheep among wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He talks more and more about that. Then he concludes this commission and he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now raise your hand if you know God doesn't have any trouble numbering your hair on your head. Like me. He used to, but he had a lot more, but so it's easier for him now. But we're going out in the midst of wolves, but... But the very hair of our head is numbered. Our master, the master of the harvest, he is about reaching people for, for, for God. He's about reaching people with his gospel. He needs us out there. He needs us engaged in the world, but not of the world. Just like the 101st Airborne had to drop in behind enemy lines during the D-Day invasion for tactical reinforcement, the goal of the Lord is for you and I to walk among the evil one's lair and preach the gospel and witness light to them and life to them so that they can be free like you and I are free. How many of you are glad you're saved today? Now, Jesus described this walk in the encounter of attack as like sheep amongst wolves. Paul uses another imagery in Ephesians 6, and he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Look at that imagery. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, stand firm. Now, if that's not sobering, Simon Peter adds another. First, Simon, and he knows firsthand. We're going to look at what he says in his letter, uh, in the first letter. Fifth chapter. This is long after, at the end of his three year apprentice discipleship with the Master, the night on which Jesus was betrayed, Simon said, If all turn away from you, I won't. I'll not only go to prison with you, but I'll die for you. Right? He meant it. Now, as he's writing this as a seasoned, humbled, and humble, conquering general of faith. He makes it plain to us. Jesus describes it like amongst wolves, Paul, maniacal dark princes, 
Peter, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith. Now, stop there for a second. It reminds me of a, of a lecture I heard Ma Malcolm Gladwell give, one of the New York Times best-selling authors, a great writer. He spoke at Catalyst one year, and he was talking about uh, leaders who have great victories in moments after great wins and great victories, being very vulnerable and susceptible uh, to crashing and burning and, and falling into temptation, etc. And he used Robert E. Lee's example uh, going into Gettysburg. Robert E. Lee is coming off great wins. Battle of Bull Run and those before. And he is beyond sensible, almost feeling invincible. And some of the decisions that Robert E. Lee makes at, at Pickett's Charge, for instance, probably would not have been made if he wouldn't have come off of these great victories. He was overconfident. And the entire Civil War turned at the casualties lost by the South due to Lee's strategy. And he was a master strategist, master. But because of his overconfidence, the whole battle was lost there at Gettysburg and changed the whole course of the war. Peter says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brothers who are in the world. And then finally, John uses another imagery in Revelation chapter 12. He says, so the dragon was enraged with the woman, that's the church, and went off to make war with the rest of her children, that's you and me, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony, Jesus. Hmm, happy new year, right? Tim, thanks for being so cheerful this morning. I had rumpa pa pum still going and watched It's a Wonderful Life the other night and I'm ready to roll and now you're talking about wolves and dark princes in the heavenlies and uh, devouring lions and dragons hating my guts. Thanks for cheering me up. I am your biggest cheerleader, by the way, but I'm also called to be your under-shepherd under Jesus, who is our shepherd. And I want you to win. I need to win. I want to win. But this isn't a wiffle ball game. This is not a tournament where everybody who participates get the winning trophy. We have an enemy that we must respect. Not fear. But respect his ability and know full well his intentions. He's not about messing with you. He's about taking you out. He's not about making our life hard. He's talking about annihilating any aspect of the life of God in you and me, in our church, in the church, in our homes, in our ministries. That's what we need to know. We need to know the plain truth about what we're heading up into. With that said, I'm going to counterbalance that with a majestic statement about who our shepherd is. But before we go there, I want to give you four facts about our enemy. Number one, he's formidable, but afraid of your influence in Christ. He's formidable, but he's afraid of your influence in Christ. You and I, in Christ, have the potential of being such a light in our jobs, in our city, in our church, in our world, in our schools. We have such a potential, not only being a light for God, but a liberating person who can liberate people through the anointing of Jesus Christ on our lives. We can not only be used by God to change a person's life, we can be used by God to transform generations of that person's family line. Yeah. 
We can not only be a blessing to a church, but we in Christ can change cities, and we can impact the whole nation, and we can change the nations of the world. I can tell by your volume you believe that deeply. He fears you and I knowing this. He fears you and I going for it. But he's formidable. We are no match to encounter an evil attack without the word of God alive in us. I said the word of God alive in us and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are no match. I am no match. An attempt to stop a flaming missile of the enemy launched by hell in our own strength would have the same chance as stopping a scud missile with a baseball mitt. But in Christ, and I don't just mean I'm saved, I mean in Christ, in the living Christ, in the organic, life-flowing, anointing, touch of God, word, living, feeding on the manna, freshly, in Christ, he fears your influence. Here's a second fact about him. He's tactical but has no power against Christ's power. So, he must cloud and crowd out this fact. Look at that. This is a fact. Satan is very tactical, but he has no power against Christ's power. None. None. So, he has to crowd and cloud out that fact in my mind and in your mind watching us, calculating how to cloud our minds and crowd out the influence of the Spirit on a daily basis and moments and hours. And, and listen, he's very masterful at that. He's very masterful at that. I don't want to sound extreme on this, but I don't know if you, this has happened to you before. Um, many times when I get down to pray... There are things that I would never remember that I need to remember, and I just forget. And you know when I remember them, to do them? When I, when I get before God to pray. But you know when I'm vegging out on Netflix watching six episodes of a series? That doesn't happen to me as much. But when I get down before God Almighty to pray, I can think of everything I have to get done right now. I can, I can be talking to God and the next thing you know, I'll wake up and I've been scrolling on a thing because someone sent me a notification. You know, it's like, excuse me, God Almighty, my friend Billy Bob wants to know if we're going to go play golf on Thursday. I got to check my fantasy lineup. Pastor Tim just started preaching all of a sudden, oh no, did I put Tyreek Hill in the game or not? Cloud and crowd. Your intellect or mine, your talent and mine, your willpower, mine, is no match for him. None. But when Jesus Christ is reigning in me, not in theory, not in theological concepts, but in fresh presence and power releasing into my life, the finger of God in my life can drive demons back. That's why he has to scheme to distract, discourage, divide, depress, and keep the attacks constant because he's tactical. And he knows he has no power against you in Christ. I didn't say in church. I said in Christ. I didn't say you read Joyce Meyer's devotional every now and then and just go about your business. I said in Christ. In Christ. 
He loves attention and he wants worship. So he boasts, great boasts, framed phrases, in my mind and yours, what God won't do for you, what Satan can do to you in yours and ours. He is always longing for your attention, but he doesn't want to make it seem like it's him. But when he does, like all narcissists do, and he's the father of them, he is about gaslighting you and me into an obsessive fear or response that, that clouds and crowds what God's trying to speak into our hearts. He's tactical. That's how he crowds and clouds. He wants you and I to have our minds not on the Lord. Yahweh is my shepherd I shall not want. No. Satan knows he's lost already and he'll never face it and he never will. Narcissist will never face it. He will never face it. He will literally have to be thrown into the pit of hell. He won't go there willingly. Fact number three, he cannot cross the bloodline. The bloodline meaning the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus uh, that you fave, that you throw all of everything totally dependent upon the finished work of his blood shed on the cross, and you're under the blood, he cannot cross the bloodline or the realm of the anointing. So, he beckons and baits us out of safe boundaries. Let me help you. I've been doing this for a long time, studying the Bible, and I'm not an expert, but I'm, I listen to people and read posts and people making declarations. And Satan cannot put sickness on you. Is anybody here today? Satan cannot put sickness on a child of God. Satan cannot possess you. He's always on the outside looking for you and me through suggestions and temptations to say, come on in and have a seat. The only way he can cross in is if I move outside of the cross and let his suggestion in. He can't cross the bloodline nor the anointing. Let me ask, add another one. He can't possess your house. There's people who are afraid. They've heard a spook or a book or they watched the show they sh you know, shouldn't have watched. Uh, Halloween, uh, Jason lives for the sixth or whatever his name is. Uh, not Jason. Which one's Jason? Yeah, Michael Myers is alive again after he died 13 times. And you're watching that. Woo! Next thing you know. Right? He can't possess your house. Now, here's what he will do. He will present to you and me thoughts to get you and me to agree on various things. Various things. Right? Uh, he wants to refigure. He's tactical. He wants to refigure the image of God in my eyes and in yours. He wants to rob you of your stand and your status of grace before Jesus. He wants you ignorant of God's word or erroneously taught God's word. He wants preachers who influence under the law, who then feed law like they think they're preaching the gospel, like concrete slabs tied to your neck so that you think you have to make fruit like bricks out of straw. That's where he's really good. The Bible information erroneously taught will not equip you for the attacks up the road. A Bible verse in and of itself will not stop a demon. But when you're filled with the life of the author of that verse... And you're speaking a living truth in a counterattack. The serpent doesn't see you. He sees Christ, Amen. not you. Amen. 
all of these points are a book, got to move on. Fourth fact. He's not messing around and is maniacal about bringing us down. In other words, he's crazy about us, just a different kind of crazy, like Joker in the Batman movie crazy. He's crazy about us. He's crazy about Christ's church, maniacally. Expect attacks. This world is not our home. Jesus, Paul, Peter, and John, all, there's four that knew him best. Three that knew him best and himself. I send you out pictures, wolves, dark principalities ruling over regions and domains in high places, like a lion looking for someone to devour and a raging dragon fixed completely upon those who are holding to the word of God and their testimony of Jesus. But God has given us weapons, and here's the good news. Here's the good news. The weapons that he has given us, the Bible says, are mighty to bringing down strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in our lives. But we have to use them. We have to know how to fight. And we have to have our travel pack packed up going forward because we're not taking a casual stroll. We are walking behind enemy lines. And he fears our influence, so he wants to stop our influence. So your travel pack is your heart my heart. And my heart needs to be filled up with some things. I want to talk about what those are. Number one, fill your travel pack with covenant knowledge. Will you say those two words out loud? Covenant knowledge. This will counter the flaming missiles of accusations that land in your mind and land in your thoughts, land in your heart, and begin to set your thoughts on a fiery path. The only way to beat those things, and, and these fiery missiles are accusations. They are bringing up past failures before you to tell you why you can't walk forward, why you can't envision God, why you shouldn't be thinking he's going to speak to your life, why you can't testify, why you can't pray prayers that get through, why it's all going to go down the drain in your marriage, why it's all going to go down in your church. Why all, he's just firing away. He's just firing away. And you have to know your covenant. Let me talk about what a covenant is. A covenant is, is a loyal, solemn oath that is only guaranteed if the person who made it has what is needed to back it, to enforce it, and keep it. The covenant I'm talking about is technically made between God the Father and Jesus. So guess who's going to break that one? Nobody. And when we become fathers in Christ, I didn't say churchgoers, fathers, where you really believe what you believe, you believe, you enter into a covenant between God and Jesus, and you're a joint heir. Yes. And when we're walking up this road, we need to know we're going to encounter, we're going to encounter an attack like a wolf attacking a sheep. We're going to encounter dark, maniacal entities that we don't even know where they came from and what, what. you were going right and then all of a sudden you're in a riptide. A lion and a dragon. Everything was going all right until you said, I'm going to begin to be faithful to God with my finances. I'm going to be I'm going to begin to love. I'm going to begin to have a positive attitude of faith. This week, I'm just going to live a life of praise. And then every store you go to, you get in the line where somebody in front or behind does a nasty thing to you. 
There's, there, it's, just, it's just amazing as soon as you turn to go upstream in a downstream world, how many things we bump into. Right? Knowing our covenant, John says this. Now listen, there's a difference, please. There is a difference between knowing theology and knowing your covenant with God. As John says, I write to you because you're strong and the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. First John chapter 2. What is a covenant? Sworn promises by God, backed by his integrity, his power, with Jesus and the heirs of Jesus. Here's, here's one that I want to share with you. This covenant is the, the, this, this image of the covenant is found in Ezekiel chapter 34, backstory. Before I ever preached one sermon at this church, which was right up by Libby's at the time, I had a vision laying on the floor of my, of my mom's basement, not in the ministry, doors shutting like one after another, and I'm at a point where I believe God's done with me and I haven't even started. Filling in the blanks. And I'm like, God, please. And he showed me this picture. I've shared it before of these little lambs, like, but they looked like kids, and they were white woolly lambs on this green hill. And I could just tell that they had no sense of fear. And then he showed me these little kids dancing in the rain in the street with water just flooding down upon them. There's such joy. And that's Ezekiel 34. I didn't know that was Ezekiel 34. I found it in Ezekiel 34. So that's the backstory, but so I know I'm familiar with this, but it's a covenant promise. And notice this, it says, then I will set over them one shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. We're, we're talking about being led by a shepherd, and he's called my servant David. Now, King David, when Ezekiel is sharing this, King David, he's been dead for uh, years, probably century, if I'm not mistaken. So Ezekiel isn't talking about Jesse's son. But he's using David's imagery because God told David that one of his sons, not his, one of his descendants would be the one who would reign over the house of Jacob forevermore, the Messiah. And we know now that this is speaking about Jesus. So you could say it like this, then I will set over them one shepherd, Jesus, and notice this, and he will feed them. Well, that's a really awesome graphic, by the way. He will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, the Messiah, will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I, the Lord, have spoken means bank on it. You need to, when you're walking forward, you need to know what God has said in that book. What God has said in that book, that's it. But if you don't know it, now it gets even better. Stay with it. God says, I will make a covenant of what? Peace. I will make a covenant of peace with them and what? Eliminate harmful beasts. Have we just talked about harmful beasts? Yes. Right? We've talked about wolves, dragons, lions, and these maniacal princes that if we saw one of them, we'd probably all die of a heart attack. If we saw a good angel, we'd probably all die of a heart attack. Well, so I saw an angel the other day. I was praying. La, da, da. No, you didn't. <laughs> Anybody in the Bible that saw an angel, the angel had to say, hey, I'm don't be afraid. Right. So I'm like, oh, I'm walking with an angel. I had lunch with an angel the other day. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I will make a covenant. I will eliminate harmful beasts from them so that they may live securely in the wilderness. I love this imagery. And sleep in the woods. Yeah. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? That knowing there's such a protective shepherd over your life with beasts in the fields, in the woods, that you can go, night, what? Do you see that? Do you see that? So you don't have to worry about a ghost coming out of your wall? You go... Tell the devil you're not going to buy the con that he's possessing your back storage room. I will make a, them and the places around my hill. 
See, that's the key. Be around the hill of the Lord. A blessing. Keep going. And they will be secure on their land. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bars off their, of their yoke and have delivered them from the hand, hand, I want you to remember that, of those who have enslaved them. That's the game of the enemy about enslaving us with fear, with, with all sorts of thoughts. They will no longer be a prey to the nations and the beasts of the earth will not devour them. But they will live securely and no one will make them afraid. Do you like that verse? As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men. He's speaking about us, speaking about people. He's using this imagery to make a point to people in the Messiah, God declaring it himself. Know your covenant in your travel pack. Number two, your travel pack is your heart, so keep your heart open to the voice of Jesus. Keep your heart open to the voice of Jesus. I'm in a Sunday night service as a youth pastor. I think I had about 17 kids in my youth group, Ollie. 17 kids. I mean, we were shaking the world. Um, My senior pastor was trying to bring our church out of the 19th century. And uh, we were doing the best we could. And... uh, I was sitting on the platform, he was finishing up a message, and all of a sudden, in my, with my eyes closed, I was just praying, and I saw the Lord Jesus like a shepherd walking on this path, and, and the path was lit, and everything around the path was darkness, and it was a dark darkness. It was, have you ever been in the dark where you could almost touch it? Like it's so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face? It was that kind of dark, and I saw him, kept, he kept turning around to the sheep following him, and the sheep were kids. And he kept saying, stay close to me, stay close to me, stay close to me. And then there would be voices coming out of the darkness, and you would see kids leaving and following after a voice which they thought sounded familiar. And the one thing that gripped me from when I saw that was as soon as they went in the dark, they were absorbed. You had no idea where to even begin to look for them. And I was gripped by that, and I think he was just telling me about how his heart concern is for, for, the, for, the, for the young kids that I had oversight over. But I've come to realize, you know, because in your, in, your, in your youth, there are these pivotal moments. It really matters who you date and who you don't. It really matters that you don't buy the con when you're 16 years old, that if you don't get, along, get with a guy soon, gosh, you're, you're so old. Your life's going to pass you by. It really matters that you date somebody that the highest level of their devotion to Christ is not church attendance. Church attendance isn't enough. Carrying a cross in self-denial with Jesus Christ filling your spirit, even that, you still walk through a war of hell. So there are moments as, a, as kids, there, how, how many of you know, some of you are then eighth grade, 10th grade, you're in your, in your posse and your people, that there are kids already making decisions about saying like, I'll never get work for that. I'll never already, already, right? There are moments. But then I also realized as I passed through my teenage years and other parts of my life, there are also other moments when you go through different kinds of things, different kinds of growing pains, different kinds of circumstances you have no control over. And he is always there in those times to go, Here's what this means, and here's what you should do or not do. And here is what is the most important thing for all of us. I have counseled people throughout my life. I've counseled people who, who've come to me before, and they, and, uh, and they were struggling, actually under conviction, about a truth that they were wrestling over they wish God would change and edit the Bible on. And they would come to me, and, and I would feel set up. They would have, what do you think, Tim? What do you think, Pastor Tim? And I knew if I gave a verse, they already know the verse. So you know, what I, you know what I do? I say this. Are you willing to follow Jesus no matter what he says? No matter what he says. Usually the conversation, you can tell what happened. Right then you can, sit and you can tell what's going to happen. How many of you are listening to me? Right then. Are you willing to follow Jesus Whatever he says about that. If they say, I'm not sure, they're already, they're already bound. 
And when you have moments when the Holy Spirit convicts you, and the voice of Jesus speaks, you have a very short time. Raise your hand if you've ever been in that war. You have a very short time to decide whether you're going to listen or not. You know what happens? If you listen to the voice of Jesus, the light gets brighter. If you don't, the voice gets softer. Not because he's lowered the volume. Your ears are getting dull. Don't get good at getting good at not listening to the voice of Jesus. Is anybody in church today? It's very true. He's tactical. Here's what Jesus said. Ready? So someone was asking me, does God, did God really say? And I didn't want to, you know, when you get into argument, biblical arguments, they usually don't go anywhere. So I just said, here's what I would do if I was you. Here's what I do in my life. And I've had to do this. It's been hard at times where I've said, Lord, what do you really, really when everything's pushed away and, 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 and I'm not thinking about what Johnny said and what the youth group's doing or what they're doing, but just you and me, Lord, what, what are you saying to me? What? And when I said that to a friend of mine, it was a girl, she had a, a shirt on, you could see her chest, not her chest, but you could see her chest, and it got real blotchy. Her face got real blotchy. You ever see people that get under conviction or make an, uh, they, can't, they don't even know they're showing their face? Our, our countenances testify against us, Isaiah says. And I could just tell that she, she it's like the rich young ruler. Jesus told him, he loved him and told him the truth. He loved him and told him the truth. I'm preaching this. Who am I preaching to? I keep, he loved him and told him the truth. But he had great wealth. Really, great wealth had him. Now, Jesus said, doesn't matter if you're Baptist, doesn't matter if you're Wesleyan, doesn't matter if you're Catholic, doesn't matter if you shook the pastor's hand and you got your Jesus Club card, doesn't matter. If your eternal security has not led you to passionately follow the voice of Jesus, don't trust your eternal security. Don't trust any doctrine that doesn't lead you to godliness. I don't care what the Nazarenes think or the church of God thinks, that's what Paul said. You all right with that? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they what? Follow me. me. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. The covenant Ezekiel says that the beasts want to put you under their hand. Isaiah the prophet said that God would break the power off their hand, break the yoke off your neck, and set you free to follow the shepherd. Amen. People say, why don't you preach a series on spiritual warfare? That's what I'm doing right now, Jack. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Now, if I'm walking in years of rebellion and disobedience to God, and I'm never interested in knowing what Jesus wants me to do, don't claim John 10 because you've read some book. You're listening to a liar. Great peace, Psalm 119, are they who love my word and nothing will ever offend them. I've never met anybody that loved Jesus with their heart that got offended over the word of God. Never. Listen to this. Liberty is in the possession of the listener. Listen to his voice and go toward it no matter what it says, if it's biblically true. Satan will ask. The Lord deals with, I was here for the marriage conference uh, thing Wednesday night, and Jimmy Evans was talking about husbands and wives and things, and he was talking about forgiveness and and, and honoring and respecting and all this. 
and submission, all these terms and things. And I was thinking to myself, um, Satan is always about building a case. He starts with suggestions. Um, it can be anything. I mean, I, I remember years ago, uh, during the, we'd do the meet and greet thing, and back in the old church, was little, and I, I'd come, we had seats up front, and I'd come down off the platform during the meet and greet and shake people's hands, and someone called me the next morning and said, I just want you to know we're leaving the church. I was like, wow. I was like, why? And the, and the lady said, well, you know, yesterday when you went to shake hands and you came toward us, I saw you deliberately turn your back on me and go the other way. And I was like... What? I, I did. Who shot that arrow? And then you know what arrow came to me? I was afraid to shake anybody's hand. Because I was thinking, I got to shake everybody's hand now because you just never know. And that's funny, isn't it? But they left. And that ain't funny. And the only person laughing is Satan. There's a war going on and we haven't shown up for it. We think everything that runs through here is our knucklehead. This is where the war is. And if we don't have our senses trained to discern good from evil, we're a mess. Carrying a Bible under our arm. Been the catalyst for 15 years in a row. Mess. Liberty grows in the domain of the listener. I'm exposing his tactic. Note the hand of the shepherd is stronger than the enemy's hand. He says it again. Let's read it again. My sheep hear my voice. I'm sorry for getting too loud. Should I, should I have sung that little portion? Let me tell you how sweet it is. I'm talking about a war. I'm talking about a war. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my what? Hand. Do you know it talks about Ezra getting from Babylon to Jerusalem, which was a thousand mile trek and he gets there in a couple months and it says because the hand of God was on him. And I'll tell you why the hand of God was on him. Because it later says, because he had committed himself to studying and obedience of the scriptures. A lot in the Bible. No one can snatch you out of his hand. He cannot block, cross the bloodline, but he beckons you out. The bait of the enemy is through suggestions in the mind and reframing circumstances that you are in, whether you meant to be in them or not. He always has an evaluation. Always. But here's what the covenant, here's the covenant. Listen to this. This is, this is John the Baptist's father when he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to talk and unfold these prophets' uh, views of the covenant. Look what he says. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who what? What? Hate us. Hate us. I told you he's crazy about you. Crazy hate. But the hand of God is to show mercy toward our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath, which he swore to Abraham and our father to grant us, I love this, that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve, that word is, is, is lutro, if you, if, you, if you read the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, this word lutro was used to describe what Aaron and his sons did in the temple. We might, we are priests, we, we lutro, we serve him How? Without fear in a position of holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Which means from the least to the greatest. When you bow and you come to pray and the voice says, he, your prayers. Seriously? You don't pray like Susie Intercessor over there. You don't pray like... I, I quit reading books on prayer because they just made me feel guilty. Because I, until, I until, until a person quits comparing themselves among heroes of the faith, 
You'll never become a hero of the faith because you're always comparing yourself to others. When we compare ourselves among ourselves, measure ourselves by ourselves, Paul, we become without understanding. God isn't interested in you praying like Billy Graham. God's interested in you praying like you. And he loves to hear your voice the same way when Graham Slam or Juju hits FaceTime. And I hear, and it says FaceTime Devin, FaceTime Savannah, and I'm expecting to see them, and there's Graham going, but I don't say, you didn't approach me with reverence and awe. Potch. Potch is enough for me. As soon as they say potch, I'm reaching for the wallet. Pacha. Juju's battling a fever and talked to her uh, on the phone and she's not feeling well and she's whimpering and crying and she said, well, you, Pach, well, you. I'm like, I'm driving to Frederick right now. <laughs> That's how God is. And the enemy wants to, as soon as you bow, as soon as you begin to believe what this says, without fear and holiness and righteousness all the days of your life, no, 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 no. Remember in 1973 when you did that thing? How could, God li- how could God listen to you? Are you really passionate? You said you love God. I don't see tears coming down your face. I don't. Oh, yeah, you really love God? Oh, yeah, you're all in, blah, 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 blah. Have you ever heard that serpent talk? That's how it is. Let's keep going. 47 minutes in. The, should I be done? All right. How long? Here's another one. Your travel pack, that's probably, probably can't get home anyway. Probably, probably can't even get up the hill. Might as well stay here a while. Your travel pack, your heart, stay connected to the faithful in the caravan. You know, they, uh, the, Mary and Joseph, they were in a caravan, right? They, they traveled to and from. It's, hey, it's better to go with others than to go by yourself for safety reasons. Stay, stay connected to the faithful in the caravan. Now I'm going to try to really be nice with this one. Help me, Lord. I even wrote a note to myself. When you get to this point, be nice. And the reason I have to say that because there's things that are being said right now that have me very upset regarding the point I'm going to make because people believe this. I have heard so many people that I know and respect that I'm speaking of right now. I've heard so many lately almost like a treatise post on Facebook, as if they're like Martin Luther hammering the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg door, telling us all how they have become enlightened about the non-importance of church for this reason, that reason. Now, due to a lack of time, I can't uncover all those points, but it really troubles me. And here's why it troubles me. You're walking toward a wolf. Malevolent spirit entities who control kings and queens are assigned to you. A prowling lion, a raging dragon. Satan has greater chances of success in the lives of those believers outside of the caravan. Stay connected to the caravan of the faithful. Jesus sent them out one by one, right? No. Two by two, right? Then the 70. And when they were in the upper room, what, there was like five of the 120 that showed up? Or were all 120 there? When Thomas wasn't in the gathering the Sunday before Jesus appeared to him, did he miss anything? Huh? When, when people wake up on Sunday morning and the little voice says, you're, you're, you're too tired today. Or these brilliant godly coaches. It's not the ungodly. These brilliant godly coaches go, I got a good idea. Let's have a tournament on Sunday morning. What's up with that? You know what we don't know? We don't know 
how many God moments we're missing. Well, I can watch the live stream. This live stream was made to catch fish, not feed sheep. And I've said to our guys, if I ever catch people over a long period of time, we'll shut it down. We're in a war. Listen, I've had people call me. The kid, the kid, they got, their kid got, the, the, actually, they got interested in their kid being in youth ministry after their kid's life hit the wall. But for years, they were too busy on football fields and soccer fields and basketball games and traveling teams. Because after all, you know for a fact, your kid's the next Tom Brady. Can't even catch a pop-up. But, but dear God, but dear God, right? Well, see, while we're missing God moments, some of these kids are confused about whether they're a boy or a girl. They're church kids. Then they're going to go off to a college somewhere with some bright lunatic from Duke who has a degree in New Testament theology sitting in the chair is telling them he doesn't even believe Jesus was real. But see, when a kid has a God moment and another and another and another and another and another and they compound interest on one another, there are things that get inside a kid that even when the dragon himself manifests, they say, I'm not going to bow to you. I'm sorry, that wasn't in my notes. I, that's as nice as I know how to say it. Here's the other thing about it. I, I know. I, I, every person that I've heard make their treatise on Facebook about it, you know what I know about every one of them? When they say about you don't need to be a Christian, go to church to be a Christian, every one of them that's writing it, they got saved at church. They got saved at church. Why the fascinating? I wonder how many Christians out of all the Christians in the United States got saved at church compared to those who were just like, you know what? I was at a strip club and uh, I was reaching for my money. And the next thing you know, I was saved. Some of you guys are laughing. Hey, I don't, I wouldn't advise saying the stuff I say, but. What if there is a family or a person out there, they, while, while my brilliant post gets made, what if there's this family out there who's in your little uh, group of followers and the Holy Spirit's been dealing with them about getting themselves into church and you have influence in their life and they hear what you say and the devil goes, you don't need to go to church because he's smart. He follows Jesus. So if he said it, you wouldn't want to be the reason why Satan drove the last nail in the coffin for that person's destiny, would you? Out of your brilliance? The other thing I want to say is that this is just me now. This is just me. And I've only been doing this for three decades. Only three. So what do I know? What do I know? With that said, in my journey... Every person, every person that bolts out have these commonalities. Now, I don't mean everybody who is doing that has these, just the people I've met. Number one, they have a problem with giving money to God at church. And number two, they're all in until someone tells them no. They have issues with financial integrity and issues with accountability. Other than that, I'm sure there are other variants but they're the people that I've encountered. And another commonality with them is their kids' lives are a disaster now. Is anybody listening? 
If this is the only time you ever hear me and you ever come back, you know what I'm telling you to be true. Because I didn't want to say this, and the Lord said, oh, yeah. Roll up your sleeves, Belichick, and tell Antonio Brown the way it really is. I've watched the mighty fall as a foot soldier, then a war general with all kinds of wounds and stories. All kinds. Final point. Your travel pack is your heart. Satan is after your faith. Never give it up. Never. He fears only one thing from our church. He fears only one thing from my life. He fears only one thing from yours. It is you really believing what you believe. So, if he knows that you might really believe that Jesus can deliver people from evil power, if you really believe that giving your money to God for needy people and to the building up of his church will work, if you really believe that your prayers can shake hell, he's fearful of you moving into a covenant faith. He fears you being filled with the Holy Spirit. He fears you believing that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are present and for now, and God might use you in them. He is terrified of you believing that. He fears you sharing your faith journey story. That's why he is constantly trying to rewrite your narrative and get you to sign off on it and go speak that nonsense. In the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis's great book, where this senior demon named Screwtape is writing to his nephew Wormwood about tactics used against people to keep them from following the enemy, who is God. And Screwtape says this, he, and he's talking about Jesus, listen, he, Jesus, wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. If only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Don't be deceived, Wormwood. Listen to this. Our cause, the devil's cause, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him, God, seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and still obeys. Jesus on the cross, before he crushed the serpent's head, said, God, why have you forsaken me? And demons screaming, take yourself down from this cross. You know you can. Take yourself down. In his mystery, in the mystery of not knowing where his father was, he went on and said, into your hands I commit my spirit and crushed hell. I'm surprised that nobody has come to the altar yet to break open their alabaster jar and pour it on the master's feet. I'm surprised that nobody is standing giving him honor for the victories that he led you into in 2021. I can't believe that there isn't anybody yet who had interrupted me with war cries of hallelujah. You and I should be dead now. You and I should have been swallowed up alive by the things that have come across the world in the past couple of years. You and I should have lost our minds when we lost our marriage. You and I should have lost it all when our treasures seemed to drift out into sea like Wilson the soccer ball, unable to reach again and you're all alone on your island. Do you know how protected you've been? Do you know who holds you in, your, in his hand? Do you realize what kind of information God just gave you this morning? Well, maybe if that hasn't jump-started your battery, this one will. Everybody stand, please. Even though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, says the word of our God. Father, in this room, break chains. You've exposed the tactics of the wicked one. Greater is he who can live in us than he who lives in this world. May we throw every yoke like Gideon, smash the jars on the altar, and say for the Lord and for me, and walk forward, shaking ourselves free from the things that have bound us and deformed our thinking and redefined God. And may we actually believe what we believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.